You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. disciples were afraid after he calmed the storm. Now he sets this guy free. And the people are afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That's ironic. You'd think they'd say, hey, here's the red carpet. Come on. But they're afraid, and they lost 2,000 pigs. We have a tendency to get comfortable in bad situations. We may know what's happening is wrong, that it's not pleasing to God, and it's not good for us. But we grow desensitized to it and can actually become afraid of fixing the problem. As Pastor Danny leads us through the account of Jesus driving demons out of a man into a herd of pigs, we'll find that people would rather have let this man remain in his miserable, destructive state as long as it didn't affect their own livelihoods or their livestock. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Mark, chapter 5, as he begins his message, The Case of the Deviled Ham. Mark chapter 5, verse 1, and this follows the story of Jesus calming the storm, and after he calmed the storm, the disciples were terrified and asked, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Verse 1, chapter 5, they went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes, also called the region of the Gergesenes or Gadarenes, same place. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, what do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Pause there just a moment because the demon has answered the question the disciples posed, who is this? Not only did the wind and the waves obey him, but the demons know him. Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. Luke's account tells us that Jesus said it on more than one occasion. So it wasn't just an immediate deliverance. And then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied. For we are many. That's an understatement. A legion could be as many as 6,000 Roman soldiers. So here, as many as 6,000 demons 
in one dude. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Luke tells us not to send them into the abyss, the abuso, also called the pit. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out of the, out of the man, went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. That's a lot of lost bacon. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, notice this, dressed and in his right mind. Luke's account also tells us that it had been some time, we don't know how long, since this man had worn clothes. So he's running around naked in the tombs. That's where he lived. He's cutting himself. He's crying out day and night. And now dressed and in his right mind, the people see him and they were afraid. Isn't that interesting? After Jesus delivers him, after he's dressed, after he's in his right mind, it's the same thing that happened really after Jesus calmed the storm and the disciples were afraid after he calmed the storm. Now he sets this guy free and the people are afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. That's ironic. You'd think they'd say, hey, here's the red carpet. Come on. But they're afraid, and they lost 2,000 pigs. We'll come back to that. As Jesus was getting into the boat, so he acquiesces to their request. He's going to leave the region. The man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him, but Jesus didn't let him. How do you like this discipleship ministry? Here's what he said to this guy. Go home to your family. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. The Decapolis is the larger ge geographic area uh, it means 10 cities after Alexander the Great came through this area. Greeks settled there. And because of their worship of pagan gods, uh, this area became a stronghold for Satan. So it's not surprising to find a man demon-possessed like this guy was in this region. It's an easy message to title it's the case of the deviled ham. <laughs> if you're one of the few that didn't get it, ask your neighbor after church and they'll explain it to you. I suggested last week that I believe there's scriptural evidence that the storm had satanic origin. I'll remind us of that again. Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves when they subsided. I cited Job. Uh, when Satan was given permission to get at Job, um, he caused a mighty wind uh, to destroy the house where all 10 of Job's children were there eating, and all 10 of Job's children died in one day because of this satanic storm. Satan has power. It's limited to God's sovereign will, ultimately, but he still has power. 
Satan, after allowing, being allowed to get at Job, also sent fire from heaven, from heaven, that's interesting, and it consumed all of Job's servants and all of his livestock. It was of satanic origin. Don't let that surprise you when you go to Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 13, uh, in a day yet future prophesied the great tribulation, the false prophet will do counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles. One of the things he'll do is he'll call fire down from heaven in full view of men, and it'll be used to help deceive the inhabitants of the world in that day to worship the Antichrist. He has power, limited power, but power. And so if I'm right in suggesting that the storm had satanic origin, and we shouldn't be surprised at that. Not only does Satan have power, but he wants to stop Jesus. He wants to stop his disciples. And he wants to keep Jesus from coming to this area we're reading about now in chapter 5 because Isaiah 61 tells us that Jesus came to proclaim freedom for the captives, to set prisoners free. This guy's held captive. Nobody's been able to help him. And now Jesus shows up. Luke's account also tells us that the demons begged Jesus again and again not to send them to the abyss. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this, but I want you to get enough that you really appreciate the truth about what we're reading. Why don't they want to go into a place called the abyss? Jude, that little epistle right before Revelation gives us, I think, the answer. Jude verse 6 simply says, And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. A couple of fellas came up last night when I mentioned this. They said, I, I don't know about what you said because it says for judgment on the great day. And they're thinking the ultimate judgment, the great white throne it's called. But that's not what this is referring to. I don't think. Judgment on the great day. There are demons right now, according to this verse, that are bound somewhere below in the heart of the earth in a place called, if you compare this scripture with other scriptures, a place called the abyss. They are demons who did not keep their positions of authority. In other words, they're extra rebellious. I think they're also extra powerful, and I'm very thankful that right now they're not free to roam. This is demon prison, the abyss. And the demons who were inhabiting this guy, Mark chapter 5, don't want to go to the abyss. Why? Because it's demon prison. They're not free to roam. They're not free to afflict. They're not free to possess. And you don't have to do a real deep study of the scriptures to know that demons love to afflict people. And if possible, they love to inhabit people. They love flesh. And, and as long as they don't go to the abyss, even though they can't stay in this guy, they at least want to go into some flesh. So they get permission to go into pig flesh. When you read in Revelation, the day coming, known as the Great Tribulation, uh, the abyss will be unlocked. And these demons that are held there now in chains will be set free. You read about it, it's fascinating. It says they're given power to harm men, but not to kill them. 
and yet men will seek to die because of the affliction they're suffering from these demons. It says there's, it, 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 to be afflicted by them is like the sting of a scorpion. I've never been bit by a scorpion, stung by a scorpion, but I hear it's not very, not very desirable. And it says, men will seek death in that day, but death will elude them. And when I teach on that section in Revelation, I suggest that this time yet coming where these demons are loosed from the abyss is the closest thing to hell on earth that humanity has ever seen. Not a boring message this morning, is it? And we're not trying to be dramatic. Look, it, it is what it is. It's real stuff. And yet there are people that say, I don't believe in demons. You know, there are people within the church that say, I don't believe in demons. William Barclay, he's not with us anymore, but he wrote several Bible commentaries over the years that I've read, and he's very helpful in terms of biblical historical background, but I've discovered over the years, if you trust William Barclay for his theology, you're going to get off course. Let me read you what William Barclay says about this story that we're reading in Mark chapter 5, and I quote William Barclay. Surely what happened was this. The herd of swine was feeding on the mountainside. Jesus was exerting his power to cure what was a very stubborn case. Suddenly the man's wild shouts and screams disturbed the swine and they went dashing down the steep place into the sea in blind terror. Look, said Jesus, your demons are gone. Jesus had to find a way to get into the mind of this poor man and in that way he found it. If you didn't catch it, what, what Barclay is saying is, not really demons. Are you serious? Matthew 4 says that demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus from far away. Matthew 8, 16, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word. Matthew 9, 32, when the demon was driven out, the man could talk. That's interesting. A man is mute, and it's because a demon has caused it? Matthew 12, 22, a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus cast out the spirit, and the man could see, and then he could hear. He could hear, he could see. The other one, he could talk. Luke chapter 13, a woman who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years, and Jesus cast the spirit out, and the woman was healed. I wonder how much physical suffering, if we understood and knew, is hell behind it. And then, interesting, Mark chapter 1, I don't know if you remember, Mark, Mark chapter 1, verses 21, 25, Jesus is teaching, or he's there in the synagogue, and there's a man in the synagogue who is demon-possessed. Sometimes they come to church, maybe more often than we realize. Now, again, I don't want to get bogged down in this, but I want you to have enough that you understand that demons are real, and it's a very real world of evil that we can't see with the naked eye. I am not by any means an expert on demons or demonology, but we've had some experience over the years in ministry. Years ago, a lady I'll just call Cindy G, and her first name is Cindy, we began to minister to her. Uh, she had scars all over her body. She was a prostitute in the area, and um, she committed her life to Christ, but we had to perform more than one exorcism on her. Very interesting. I'd never done anything like that before. We reached out to a friend at that time who was a part of Suncoast Cathedral. He's with the Lord now, but his name's Ron. And Ron graciously agreed to help us. And we got myself and four of our elders and Ron. And they all came to uh, my wife and I, our apartment, because Cindy didn't have any place to live. We let her live with us for a period of time. And uh, one evening, with Ron's help, he led us in performing an exorcism on Cindy. And... Uh, Whew, what an exciting time. 
And I witnessed, and my wife witnessed, Cindy lying flat on the carpet in our little apartment living room. And I saw five grown men as she's starting to foam at the mouth and all this craziness is Ron is leading us in, in the name of Jesus, casting these spirits out. And all of a sudden I watched and Cindy from flat lying on the carpet picked up four grown men, just like that. I'm not trying to be dramatic. I'm telling you what I saw and my wife saw. Supernatural. And here's one of the things we learned. You don't win the battle physically. And you don't fight the battle physically. That's not to say somebody doesn't launch at you. You know, even if you know the Lord, you're not going to naturally do something physically. But understand, you're not going to win the battle in the physical. It's not going to happen. And so we learn that. We also learn that Cindy, of the several exorcisms performed on her, and I don't know how many demons she had, but, you know, we'd see some cast out, and, and, uh, and then there was more there. And, you just, and, and, and these scriptures set me free in my understanding of why it wasn't just a one time, in the name of Jesus, and they're gone. If it's only one demon, that might be the case, but you get, you get a bunch of them, and you might get two or three out, and you got 12 left. Here, this guy's got hundreds, thousands. And if you study the scriptures, Luke, uh, Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5 in the account of the story, it says that Jesus had said to him again and again, and there's this ongoing thing. It wasn't just even with Jesus at one time and all of a sudden it's over. What we discovered with Cindy is she didn't really ultimately want to be free. Now, I'm, I'm not going to give you the details, but over a period of weeks, we realized uh, she really didn't want to be free and you have to want to be free. Why did this man in Mark chapter 5 run to Jesus? Because no matter how far gone a person is, they still have a will. They still have a will. The demons aren't going to run to Jesus. The demons don't want to be around Jesus. The demons are afraid he's going to cast them into the demon prison, the abyss. They are not running to Jesus. The man is running to Jesus. And if you study it carefully, you find this, this, this warfare going on. And that's why it's again and again, Jesus had said. And then there's the response back. And Jesus said, what's your name? My name is Legion. And there's this battle. There's this warfare going on. And you have the will of the man wanting to be free, but also the challenge. And if you don't ultimately want to be free, you will not be free. And Cindy ultimately did not want to be free. And a few demons would leave, and there's more left, and then others came back. That's what we found out. And they bring their friends with them. And it came to the point that we realized Cindy doesn't ultimately want to be free. And I, I, surmise, that, I surmise that because of that, the, enemy is, and the enemy's having a heyday because it was draining my wife and I. We were just being drained. And all of our energies in ministry were consumed with Cindy. She's living in our apartment. And finally, one day when it finally hit me, I realized, I realized what's going on. I packed her bag because she wasn't willing to go. And I set it outside on the sidewalk. And I said, you, you leave. You must leave. And we had to escort her out of our apartment. Because you've got to want to be free. And if you want to be free, you can be free. But you've got to want to be free. Now, I'm not suggesting any, especially young, immature Christians, go looking for demons. Nobody should go looking for them. Where do you find that in the Scriptures? You've got to screw loose spiritually if you're going looking for them. But you're going to confront them from time to time. You're going to confront them because it's a real thing. It's real. 
When I say don't go looking for them, I'm not, say, I'm not saying don't charge the gates of hell and set people free. That's not what I'm saying at all. But if confronting them, you better, you better have a relationship with Jesus. And all you got to do is go read Acts chapter 19. Seven sons of a Jewish priest named Sceva, and they tried to use the right phraseology, phraseology to cast demons out of people, and they got the snot beat out of them. And you will get beat up if not killed. You better have a relationship with Jesus because it's only through Jesus that you have the power to deal with them. Now, with that said, uh, let me just say it's my conviction, and it's the conviction of Calvary Chapel as a movement, generally speaking, that we don't see any New Testament, especially biblical examples of Christians, someone who really has been born again. We don't see any examples of Christians being demon-possessed. Now, I understand you get into this all semantic thing, you know, well, what's possessed and what's oppressed and all that kind of stuff. I understand there's still some mystery there for me. I understand that. The Apostle Paul wasn't possessed, but he was afflicted and he was oppressed, but it was in the sovereign will of God. A messenger from Satan afflicted him for the rest of his earthly life. We know that, but it was in the sovereign will of God to keep him humble. All right. That's not always the case, but Christians can be oppressed by demons. Christians are also, as well as non-believers, enticed by demons. James 1.14, each one is tempted, and by his own evil desire, he's dragged away, and then he's enticed. You want a real scriptural example of that? All you got to do is go to 1 Kings chapter 22. And in 1 Kings 22, and let me, let me summarize the context of this, uh, King Ahab, wicked king who won't listen to the word of God, won't heed the word of the prophets in his day, and so he's going the way of the devil. Could I remind us there's only two ways? There's no in between. You say, well, I'm not really going the devil's way. I'm just not going really going God's way. No, no, no. There's no, there's no in between. You're either going God's way or you're going the devil's way. There's no in between. And if you want to go the devil's way, in other words, you don't want to go God's way, then God will, for those that really choose to go that path uh, stubbornly and continue on it, God will oblige you in time. And that's what happens here. King Ahab, Micaiah the prophet, verse 19 of 1 Kings 22, therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne with all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. This includes, like in the story of Job, not only the angels that stayed committed to the Lord, but those that didn't. You just read on. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? In other words, he wants to go the way of the devil. This is, what he's going to, this is how he's going to end up. One suggested this, another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, and he stood before the Lord. He said, I'll entice him. The Lord said, how are you going to do it? He said, I'll go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, that'll do it. Go. And Ahab, believing these false prophets that he had gathered around himself to say what his itching ears wanted to hear, said, go ahead, attack Ramoth Gilead. You'll be victorious. And one of his prophets even made a, an illustrative thing with these horns and said, so will you be victorious, you know. I think that was that story anyway. The prophet said, you go be victorious. And, and so he listened. He's deceived, willingly deceived. And he went to his death. So it behooves us to guard against satanic influence in our lives. I'm talking not only, I'm talking Christians. 
as well as non-Christians. And the way you start with non-Christians give you life to Christ. Thanks for joining us today on The Living Word. In this study of the book of Mark, Pastor Danny has been unpacking how time and time again, Jesus showed himself as a servant throughout his life here on earth. He was a prime example of what we should strive for as we live our days to the best of our ability. Most times, serving comes at a cost or a sacrifice for those you're serving, but it's worth it in the end. Jesus exemplified this with his sacrifice on the cross, serving us in the most ultimate life-altering way. We trust that this gives you hope, perseverance, and an ambition to serve those around you in a way that reflects Jesus to others. If you want to hear this teaching in the Book of Mark again, you'll find it by visiting our website, ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab and click on Teachings. You can also connect with us through social media. Look for links to Facebook, Instagram, or subscribe to our YouTube channel. That way you'll be notified as soon as we upload new videos. We also invite you to join our Bible reading program. Also under the Resources tab at ccfstpete.church. If you're looking for a church, we'd be happy to meet you at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. All the information you need is at ccfstpete.church, along with links to join us through the live stream. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for tuning in and learning more on The Living Word.